I think it's dangerous to have your motivation be the end point. The motivation has to be part of the journey. What everybody says that they want in the world is not an Emmy or a billion dollars. What everybody wants is to be happy. So what is the thing that makes you happy? Because we know that those accolades don't fulfill you. Those accolades actually depress you. You get to that point and then there's this letdown of like, okay, I have the Emmy or I have the billion dollars. Like now what? Why aren't I more happy than I was 10 minutes ago? Well, I'll tell you, they go, well, now I want $2 billion. Yeah, it's so like, it's uh, a moving uh, goalpost. I don't want to move the goalpost. Like yeah. I have to sit here today at 40 years old knowing like if I never win an Emmy, I still have to think I had a successful life. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guests are Aaron and Sarah Foster. You know them as the acting, writing, producer, sister act behind the VH1 hit Barely Famous and as the forces behind the hugely popular fashion brand Favorite Daughter. The two sisters also co-founded the venture capital fund Oversubscribed Ventures. I love that name. And have previously been creative advisors to brands such as Bumble and The Mirror. And somehow, in their spare time, they've also got a hit podcast, the world's first podcast, and have more TV shows and investments, and I'm assuming lots of other things in the works. Sarah, Aaron, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thanks for having us. I love that 9 to 5-ish. <laughs> That's good. So before we jump in, we, we like to warm up with a lightning round to, to get to know you better. Quick questions, quick answers, but this time we're going to put a slight spin on it because there are two of you. So we're going to ask you questions about each other. Okay. Oh, okay. Sarah, what was Erin's first job on her resume? <gasps> oh, she, oh God, she sold shoes at a store in Malibu, but she was also a hostess at Taverna Tony's. But I think it was the shoe store first. Mm-hmm. It was actually a comfort shoe store where I had to sell shoes to old people and they would want me to put them on their actual feet and I would uh, politely oh decline. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Oh, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Aaron, what's one word someone you manage or work with would use to describe Sarah and then Sarah vice versa? Um, <laughs> volatile? Um, <laughs> but also volatile, but, but also um, like very productive. Volatile, but it works. Mm -hmm. One word for Aaron. No, that somebody that we work with would describe me. Oh, creative. That's nice. Give me a bad one to make. Yeah, now you feel like an asshole, huh? I know. Give me a bad. Give me a <laughs> negative one to balance it out. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to stoop to your level. <laughs> I'm not going to stoop. Aaron, who is better at negotiating, you or Sarah? Definitely me, and Sarah knows it. Sarah panics in negotiations and she wants to negotiate against ourselves. She wants to offer them more than they're asking. I for. literally get offered deals and I literally say to my agent, I'm like, honestly, they could get someone way better. If they have that kind of budget, I want to tell them I know people who are a lot more like famous yeah. than me that and they I should have, get. And I have like a, I won't get out of bed for less than $10,000. No, Aaron knows our worth and I don't. That's the problem. Who would play each of you in a, in a movie or a show? If it wasn't you. Okay. Sarah would be played by Margot Robbie. 
Oh, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. I know because so she's nice. yeah. she's the most beautiful, the most relevant. She's so talented. Wow, she could play a psychopath like Sarah Foster so well <laughs> while maintaining her beauty. Okay, well, in order in order to get someone to play me in a movie, I'm going to have to really like hustle for the next you know couple to years to have like a biopic to have it be like worthy yeah. of getting Margot Robbie to say yes to. People always think Aaron looks like Taylor Swift. Can she act? Can Taylor Swift oh. act? No, pick an actress. You know what you try to do. That's a good one. I feel like you really love each other by those picks. That's, that's really nice. That's really nice. Flattering picks, right? Kristen Bell is playing a version of Aaron that's in the true. Netflix show. Right. That is true. She's it's literally not Aaron, but it's like, you know, parts of you. Yeah, she's kind of playing me. Yeah. Sarah, what is the thing that will make Aaron lose her temper? If things don't go her way. If you do not, if you do not react or respond to a situation the way that she would, then it's like everyone just buckle up. Buckle up, honey. Aaron, who is a scarier person to get on the bad side of, you or Sarah? Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. We were playing Six Degrees of Sarah and Aaron Foster. Who is someone you guys are loosely related to that people may not know uh loosely i mean related. we were related to kim kardashian yeah That's, that always that always surprises people yeah. Yeah, all the Kardashians. Oh, Clay Aiken. That always surprises oh, people. That's got to be the most shocking. Oh. Really? Oh my God. How? We did not come up with that one. Our aunt had a child with Clay Aiken. Yeah. Wow. That is a great one. Yeah. That's good job, Sarah. That we was... have, we're related to two people on American Idol. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's, that's true. Really, Our yeah, dad's wife really nice. was on American Idol. We're deep in the world. That's so true. That is the most random six degrees, Clay Aiken. Uncle Clay. <laughs> Uncle Clay, as we call him, of course. Okay, for both of you, who is the biggest mentor for each of you? Here's the thing: is that Sarah and I did not take a very uh, we straight had, path. Yeah, we have a very like our trajectory is sort of very chaotic and all over the place. So I think that we've never been people who had a five year plan or looked to someone and said, "Okay, I want to model my career after this person," because it's taken us in so many directions we didn't expect it to go. So I wouldn't say that either of us have a traditional mentor. Because I honestly don't even know what I want my career to look like 10 years from now. I don't know who I would look to. And honestly, a lot of the times that we've pivoted in our careers, people have told us that it's a bad idea. People that I look up to, actually, whether it's taking the job at Bumble, just people being like, wait, you're just now solidifying yourself as actresses and comedians, and you have this hit show. Why are you going to go and take a tech job? Like, that's so weird, right? Or if it's with Favorite Daughter, when we decided to partner with Centric Brands, people were like, wait, just go raise money on your own. Like, do it by have yourself. more ownership. Do it by yourself. Don't give away so much ownership right at the top. And those people were wrong. And those people were wrong. And these are people that we really looked up to. So we haven't just been on a straight line. So I don't think we've had that one mentor, but I don't know. I think like our parents have always been people that have always had really good advice. Our dad always has great advice and our mom does too. I want to move into the meat of our conversation. So I think what I'm most fascinated by and in, in kind of reading about you and being like a fan for many years, you talked a lot about this is the kind of dichotomy in your childhood where you obviously grew up with like a really famous dad and, you know, had a lot of people that are household names that you knew growing up or were related to at one point. 
And I think a lot of people listening would assume that you two understood the inner workings of Hollywood, the entertainment industry, et cetera. There's that lovely term, Nepo baby, if I said that right, uh, that's been thrown around. But you've also said that you both felt like outsiders in that industry. Sarah, can you kind of just break down sort of what the misunderstanding is that people had about how you grew up and sort of what, what you mean by feeling like an outsider? Well, I think it would be it would be very irresponsible of us to deny the Nepo baby thing. It would be very irresponsible of us and just totally out of touch to not acknowledge that um, we're total Nepo babies. But the the caveat to that, and I think Aaron pointed this out in one of our episodes, was it's not that, look, we didn't go into the music business, obviously, right? If we had wanted to be singers. I haven't fully made up my mind on that yet. I could be a singer. Okay, yeah. Then... There's no doubt that our dad could not have produced us, introduced us to record label people. That is a for sure. We did not go that route. So the career paths that we took, our dad was not involved in. I grew up with Kate Hudson. That was my best friend. So I grew up with her parents being Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. So for me, I was like, oh, well, my dad's just like a behind the scenes music producer. Like that's nothing compared to, you know, my friends at Crossroads whose parents are movie stars and who are recognizable on the street. So it's all relative. But the thing that we were given that is so beneficial to what we have created is we had stability. We had stability. We had financial means. We knew where our next meal was coming from. We didn't have to stress about a roof over our head. We knew that we could take risks because we were never going to fall on our asses completely. Do you know, having a safety net is, I think, really overlooked when quote unquote Nepo babies are having the conversation because they automatically just go to like, well, what are you talking about? My parents didn't get me that audition. I went into the audition. I killed it. I got the role. Yes, totally. Your parents being somebody is not going to get you role after role because if you suck, you're not going to get put into things, right? For us, we're like, uh, our dad didn't write Barely Famous. Our dad didn't give us a dollar for our venture fund. Our dad didn't blah, blah, blah. But you totally have to take it back and peel the onion back without the stability of the financial support that we were given. We would have never been able to do the things that we did do on our also own. Also the inroads. I think that when you grow up in you know, Montana or Nebraska, and you're not surrounded by or having dinner with people who come from this world, there's such a like gap in your awareness of how to handle yourself. And at the end of the day, you know, it's like in any industry, someone's going to take a meeting with someone's kid that they've heard of instead of someone's kid that they haven't heard of yeah. because it's just feels familiar to them. So it absolutely gives you an upper hand, but your question, which was about being, feeling like an outsider, I think really comes back to growing up in a divorced home. And that applies to so many people because when you grow up with your parents divorcing at a young age, you're always sort of experiencing two different realities. And if you have a big difference in how both those people are living and what their lifestyles are, then you're going to sort of feel like, I don't really know exactly where I fit in. And so we did grow up feeling like outsiders just in the sense that we had a fractured family. And so we didn't exactly know what our role was. And there was a big discrepancy between having a parent that was like super successful and having a parent that was raising us in our home, like day to day while one parent at the Grammys and one parent is like, you know, is having a different lifestyle that we're, that we're living with. And I think that it always just sort of made us feel like we didn't know if we were fully a part of it or not, because 
you know, we're always sort of, um, we caught the- well, We lived with our mom. We lived with our mom. We kind of caught the bad end of people telling us that we were spoiled and entitled and brats, but we were also- We're like, we don't live with our dad. We yeah, live we were with also our mom in the valley. Struggling with some, um, with some like, identity crisis around that. And also, listen, our dad- because he grew up without money because he grew up really poor and he worked his ass off to get to where he was. He was really hell bent on always reminding us that like we weren't rich, that he was rich. And so he always instilled this thing in us of like, don't think that you're born into some kind of privilege because you have to earn it for yourself. And today I'm really grateful for having that, but it kind of always instilled in us this thing of like, this success is not ours. And so we should not have any ownership over it. What was your relationship like, specifically the two of you, but then also with your other siblings growing up? I guess you guys could probably guess where I'm getting to, which is, you know, Carly and I have been business partners and and co-founders for over a decade. We didn't grow up together. I can't imagine like both the shared experiences, but also like, how do you guys not get sick of each other? I mean, listen, I think it's really cool because we really kind of came up together. I wasn't up here taking Aaron along with me and Aaron wasn't up here taking me along with her, which I think happens a lot in families, right? We really figured this out together. I was acting on a TV show. She was writing on a TV show. We were both not struggling, but we were both kind of stumbling a little bit, stumbling and flailing a little bit. Like, who am I? What am I? Should I still try to be doing this? Why am I doing this? And we had this lightning bolt situation happen together, which was barely famous. And we created the show together. And without that show, we'd have nothing. That mm-hmm. show was was the, the impetus, of the impetus of and the nucleus of all of it. So we kind of like rode the wave. And but listen, any working relationship is challenging. Yeah. And then separately, any sibling relationship is typically challenging. So you put those together and sometimes we're working shit out from when we were in elementary school together while we're in a business meeting. And when I go like, why am I so f-ing mad at her for this thing she said in the fitting? And then I like go to therapy and I'm like, oh, like that was me being like an eight-year-old working out my shit with Sarah from childhood. We obviously bring baggage into it that makes the working relationship harder. But you also, as you know, when you're business partners, you know, a lot of your work life can be really lonely and you're getting on an airplane that you don't want to get on on a Sunday morning when you want to be home. And like doing that with your sister makes all the difference and being stuck in meetings and going to the same place over and over again. Like, it's just nice to be able to do that with your sister. Even when it's challenging, it's like you get to do it with somebody. Also think about how many co-founders are estranged now? How many people leave the company? No, we know. Yeah. I mean, it happens, right? Where like you can't get past it and someone ultimately leaves. They take their severance package, they take their stock and they're out. For us- We don't have that choice. We don't have that choice because who's going to help with my kids? If she shuts me out, who's raising those children? I got to (laughs) still, I still need help. I think to that point, like I love how you guys think about that. Like who else is going to be there? Whereas- I would think kind of like, has it ever crossed your mind that it is scary? Like doing this that is so fraught with so many things with family where it could go wrong and the stakes are so high. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had really gnarly times where Aaron's looked at me before more her than me because Aaron, maybe you would say she's deeper than I am. I don't know. I've never reached that point where I'm like, oh, this is just 
fucking done. Erin has reached points where she's like, I cannot do this anymore. I'm like, well, you can walk, honey, because I'm staying. So you're going to have to walk away from these things and be okay with it. I've gotten to a breaking point. Yeah. Yeah. A handful of times where I'm like, this isn't good for my mental health. Right. You're like, I want to be sisters. And I'm like, well, I want to be business partners and get rich. So, but Aaron's more like, but I just want to be sisters. And this is affecting now me wanting to be your sister. So it's more worth it for me to walk away from the business and keep the sisterhood. I'm like, yeah. if you think about it, like, you know, there are so many things about your sibling that you would live your life differently than they're living it, right? Or do things differently and with a business partner. If you were going to be friends with each other outside of work, you might like parent differently than she does. You might deal with her husband differently or talk about people differently or whatever your like anybody's things are. But when it comes to a sibling that you are also working with, as you know, to have a healthy working relationship, you do both kind of have to respect the way that each other handles something. You can't go into a meeting and one person takes this approach, the other one takes the other approach and you go about things in a totally different way. So like for Sarah and I, we find ourselves at these, these things where we have to get on the same page. And in normal life, I could just be like, well, that's how Sarah chooses to do that thing in her life. But when you're running a business together, you kind of have to like talk to people the same way, lead the same way. Like, But not all our businesses, the hierarchy is the same. So like, of course, the podcast, all the investment stuff, you know, favorite daughter. Yes. But like the Netflix show, technically we sold it together because it was under our deal. And I was there from the beginning and blah, blah, blah. But she's the boss. It's her show. She's the creator of the show. So I know when I walk into a room that the vibe is different. I have to take a back seat and that's okay. That's all good. Like that's more. Well, and then Sarah's a producer on it. So then there's, there's certain tasks that are more in her area. And I yeah, would but say. I still know my place. Like I still go in those rooms yeah. and it's like, I know this is Aaron. And I'm happy about that. Like, I think that that's fantastic. Like, so all of our lanes are not um, equal. So we talked to many co-founders and have had them on the show and I will say, like, to your point, Sarah, like, a lot of them don't make it. They break up. Somebody sues the other. Like, there's just, like, these horrible stories. And people always ask us, because we've been doing this for almost 11 years, that, like, you know, how do you find your business partner that you trust? Are you guys actually really friends? And, like, we are. And I think one of the reasons that we've been able to do that is we have, like, very clear red lines of, like, friend time, work time. Don't talk about work when it's friend time and, like, vice versa. I'm curious, as sisters, we do like, not have. Do that. you have these lines? <laughs> we'll be sitting in meetings, and I'll be like, "Mom is fucking crazy." Do you know what Mom said to me this morning <laughs> when we're literally sitting in meetings with like Fortune 500 CEOs? I'm like, "Look at this text." We were just recording a podcast with a guest, and I was like, "Sarah, your daughter is texting me 50 times. She wants to go to Universal Studios. You we have to no respond. boundaries. You need to respond to her because she's stalking me now to ask if I will take her." Our boundaries are bleak. Yeah, we don't have any good boundaries, but I wish we did have good boundaries because I think it would help. It'll be our next podcast. It'll yeah. be yeah. about boundaries. So one of the other things that I wanted to kind of dig in with you both is that you both have been in the entertainment world for a while. You've been writers, producers, actors. You've made a name for yourself in those avenues. But on the other hand, there are whole industries that you've also really made a name for yourself in. And, you know, we talked about your involvement in Bumble, but like, that was really the, actually the first time that like we, you know, being in the tech world, like really discovered you guys of like, oh my gosh, like these women are so smart and helpful and creative. You obviously have this like enormously successful fashion brand that anybody I know who's bought it is like, this is like the best. I love it. That's so great to hear. It's one thing to take risks in the area that you've made a name for yourself in and grew up in and kind of know. 
It's another thing to take risks in areas that are brand new. And we asked you at the beginning of the show, who are your mentors? We asked that because it's like really what we're saying is who is helping guide you and like giving you the confidence to take on these things that like you don't have formal training in? We weirdly... It's so true and it's so crazy because we have each other. Mm -hmm. And I think like when the Bumble opportunity presented itself, we were like really riding high. The way we met Whitney Wolf was because her and her team loved Barely Famous. So she paid us or the company paid us to fly to New York to go speak to at the, bum, at the Bumble panel. Hive about the show that they all loved. So like when the opportunity presented itself, when Whitney was like, you guys are great. I want you guys to help me launch the Bumble Biz and BFF arm of the app as my creative directors, which we always say like, that's what Whitney Wolf does. She's unconventional. She thinks of crazy ideas that ultimately just end up working. And if I was alone in this and not in a partnership with Aaron, I probably would have been like, my imposter syndrome would have been at a 900 going, there's no way I have the tools to go help this unbelievable founder launch those businesses. I'm not qualified. But then Aaron's going, we've got to take this opportunity. Who knows what this could be? This mm -hmm. could be something so huge. So I don't know that we even went to anybody. About no, I mean, you we, and I just talked it we out. We talked it through. And I think it sounds really risky and scary when you say it the way that it is. But if someone was to say to you, like, do you want to start a closet making business with me? You'd be like, sure. I mean, if I fail at that, like I've never set out to make a closet business. So it's like not that big of a deal if it falls apart. By the right? way, you really actually just chose my dream side hustle. So really? Yes. Let's start it tomorrow. That's really funny. Okay. Like if someone asked me to start a closet business, I'd be like, absolutely not. Okay. But no, I'm like using Aaron and I just started a business. You missed it. Yeah. We just started one. What the point I'm making is that because we didn't go to business school and we weren't set out on a path to be in tech and to be creative directors of a massive company like Bumble, when the opportunity came to us, it was completely out of left field. And we were like, well, we've never thought of being in that world. Why don't we give it a shot? If it doesn't work, that's okay. Because we so, have these careers over here. Yeah. The concept of like, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail or you weren't scared to fail? That's sort of how all of this has started for us. Like we never set out to have a clothing brand. That's not something that we didn't go to fashion school. We weren't like, that wasn't we a dream of ours. We also set out to be a duo. This like duo, that was not a plan. Right. So at for all. us, taking the risk was sort of like, okay, if it doesn't work, then we can check that off. And we and it, and it didn't happen for us. But it wasn't something that would be like a failure in our life that we couldn't recover from. And that's what I, I mean, it, it's amazing. You had the TV show, then you did the Bumble deal. You're now investing. You have favorite daughter. What hasn't worked out? Well, you know. I also have to just admit though, like if I'm being honest and we have to just be a little realistic here, you were in a different financial position, but I had a partner who was like, paying the bills. So it was way more possible for me to just take this risk over here at Bumble because my partner was keeping the roof over our head. So we just have to like put it into perspective for people. I was not a two income household at that time. So it did, it wasn't but, easier. Yes. Um, I appreciate you saying that, but to focus on a, a failure or two, oh you God. know, I mean, no, just, but Barely Famous got canceled after the second season. And by the way, no one saw it. 
literally nobody saw it. Like we were on cable on VH1 and there was like a stat one day that came out that, you know, on cable, you see where you rank. And we were, there was like 173 shows, which included Saturday morning cartoons and reruns at three in the clock in the morning. And we were at the bottom of the list. Okay. Like, like 10 people had seen the show. It's true. So, Technically barely famous was a failure. It was failure. a failure. Like it got canceled after the second season and nobody watched it. We had like the worst ratings of all time. It had a second, like a surge afterwards as this like cult following show, which people loved when they did get to see it. But we came out at the wrong time, probably on the wrong network where people weren't looking for a comedy like ours. And we made no money on it. We actually lost money. We paid out of pocket for so many of the things on that show because there was no budget for it because we hadn't proven ourselves in that space. And so that show failed, but somehow like failed upward where it sent us and it gave us, it had a positive trajectory in our life, but we were devastated when that show got canceled. And after that show got canceled, I mean, Sarah really couldn't recover, but I was kind of like, well, it was, you know, we got the show made really easily. And so let's just go do it again. And it's been almost nine years since we will have another show on the air. And so there's been like a lot of stumbles up until this point. Now for me to have a show on Netflix is like, that's the, that was the next thing. It took like eight years. Which one of you is more resilient in business? I can recover better. I can recover better, but Sarah has more of a work stamina than I do. Well, I think that's because Aaron is through and through. Aaron is a gifted, talented writer. I'm more of a hustler. So it's like, I don't have a lot of hustle. Erin has zero hustle in her. If she didn't have me, she would have nothing. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you would literally, you wouldn't even have the Netflix. I'm the one <laughs> leaning over her going, right, bitch, right. What are you doing? She's like, I just want to make latkes for my husband. I am like the one in the corner, like pushing her, yeah. even though, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit. No, but I'm not as motivated as Sarah is. Like I'm not, Sarah's more ambitious than I am and more motivated to like be successful. That's not something I obviously want to be successful, but it's not like- But I don't have like driving. an innate God-given talent. So I have to be more hustly where you're kind of like, well, guess what? I could wake up tomorrow and write a book and guess what? I'd sell it and people would buy it. And when you kind of know that about yourself, when you have that kind of like, I don't want to say God-given talent, but I think it is God-given talent. I think there's a calm maybe that you feel. I always think if I'm not like- you know, churning shit out, then nothing's going to happen and it's all going to go away and I'm going to have nothing. And you probably know like, okay, well, if I lose everything and if I'm destitute, like I'll write a book. I'll or do- I could like go be on a writing staff. I could write on somebody else's exactly. show. Exactly. What are like family get togethers like with your mom and like your other siblings now in terms of you guys being a duo? They're really nice, actually. They're so nice, but we're really like spread out. Our youngest sister lives in New York. Our mom is here. Our dad has a two-year-old, so he's like got a whole new life that is totally different. So it really is just me and Aaron. And we see each other a lot. A lot. Well, we do. And like, listen, I also, I think because I married someone who had a very, very together family, he sort of has like instilled this thing in us where he's always like, let's have everybody over for a family Sunday. Let's watch a game together and invite Sarah and the girls over and invite your mom. And let's like, you know, order Mexican food. And those are things that we were like kind of half doing before that, but a little bit like we had to- He brought it out in you. Yeah. Like we had to kind of learn it from someone who had a family that was always getting together. We had no traditions. And now it's like Sarah didn't even care about sports as much before. And then now that Simon's obsessed with basketball. Well, I cared about tennis, but, but just yes. not like. But now Sarah will be like, 
hey, Miami Denver games on tomorrow. Are we all coming over? Like, are we ordering in? Like, it's become a thing that we do that stuff. And that's been really nice for us to have. Is there a business venture that you have not yet taken on, but you're like, this is on the the wish list of like, I hope our names are attached to something like this? I think it's like we we speak about this or I speak about it. I think that we're so conditioned now as a society. I don't know if it's as women, but the hustle is so intense. I think whether it's social media or whatever it is, we think, I don't want to generalize, but I know that a lot of women I know, it's never enough. And, and it's like, when is it enough? You know, like how many more, you need a jewelry line now on top. You don't have to monetize everything. So like a couple of years ago, I might've been like, oh, well maybe a this or that, but it's like, no, it's, it's enough. Like we don't need to monetize at all. We've got the podcast. We've got the clothing brand. We've got the venture fund. Let's make those unbelievable because what happens is you start oversaturating your plate. You feel like you got to get into this lane and you got to get into that lane. It's like, you don't have to get into every lane. So I would say it's enough. We're done. We now need to. Speaking of that, we are launching a fragrance. (laughs) No, but for favorite daughter. It's under the brand. Well, you have to smell good while you do it. But no, I really like that because I don't think you hear that a lot from entrepreneurs um, and and especially female entrepreneurs. And I think that's a, you know, I want to kind of pause around that. And I think like what you're talking about is like, you know, it's about embracing no and about really understanding like what your priorities are of where you want to lean into. I think it's about shutting out the noise. I think we see all these people on Instagram only feeding us their highlights going, oh, well, did you see so-and-so? She just launched a candle company. So I think I need to have a, I think it's truly like shut out the noise and actually get real about what you want. Because I think so many people out there are investing because they think it's cool to invest. Do you even want to invest? at this point, you have now achieved success. You know, I'm assuming financial success as well as just, you know, branding success. What is your motivator? I think also to answer the same question that you had asked, Sarah, like my idea of what I would like to have happen next is one of the companies that we invested in really early to be really successful. Because there's something about that that feels like nobody in the world can take credit for you knowing that there's potential in something before it's even launched, you know, like having that good idea that meets all the criteria and has a founder that can actually like take it all the way. I will be really proud if one of the investments we make through our firm really pays off in a big way. And for our investors, like these are people that in this space, you know, our LPs, they have so much money that they put into so many different things and they're taking a risk with us because it is outside the box. So to give them a return on their money and say like, see, we had a good instinct. That's something that I will feel really proud of. We got spoiled really early on because we just, our instincts were on fire, right? With Bumble and with Mir. And, and yeah. so people started going, oh my God. What, what is the special sauce? How do you, how did you yeah, know? Now we really have to prove that it's, that we actually do have that special sauce. And that's where the firm to me is something that like, I really hope pays off for our investors. And we have some kind of, you know, cool instinct there. So sorry to cut you off. You were asking about what motivates us. Like, I think that, I mean, you would probably want an Emmy, right? That would probably be something no, I you want to have. Listen, I was actually going to say the opposite in the sense that I think about things like that for sure. I picture my like Emmy speech and like, oh my God, I didn't know it was going to be me. Like uh, the whole thing, you know? But I really think it's dangerous. Not everybody would agree with this. I think it's dangerous to to have your motivation be the end point. I really think that the motivation has to be part of the journey. 
What everybody says that they want in the world is not an Emmy or a billion dollars. What everybody wants is to be happy. So what is the thing that makes you happy? Do you feel like good about the productivity that you have in your life? Do you feel good about your work personal life balance? Do you really want to get married? Do you want to like say that you are a CEO of a company? Like what is the thing that would make you feel fulfilled? Because we know that those accolades don't fulfill you. Those accolades actually depress you. You get to that point and then there's this letdown of like, okay, I have the Emmy or I have the billion dollars. Like now what? Why aren't I more happy than I was 10 minutes ago? Well, I'll tell you, they go, well, now I want $2 billion. Yeah. So it's a moving goalpost. I don't want to move the goalpost. Like I have to sit here today at 40 years old, knowing like if I never win an Emmy, I still have to think I had a successful life and I still have to be able to be happy. So what are those key ingredients? Like we've worked with founders who are thinking about themselves on the cover of Forbes before their business is even launched. Like they're thinking of themselves as a girl boss instead of thinking about the product that they're proposing to be successful. And that to me is a huge, huge red flag that they're probably not going to get to their end point. We've got one more question left, but before we get there, I just want to say, I'm just really struck by, I mean this in the best way, just like, not that I didn't feel this way before, but actually sitting down and talking to you that what you guys have done so well is scale being just approachable and who you are. And it's like very, very, very refreshing and lovely to hear this. And I just think, That's especially so nice. with all the messages on social media out there, it's it's just really, uh, I think, something we need more of. So thank That's you. That's so nice. I mean, thank we you, are Danielle. like a weird intersection because I think people do look at us as being very privileged and aspirational. We grew up in LA and all those things. But at the, at the same time, we don't feel like we're that girl and we never have. I'm the girl, I go to these fancy Hollywood parties. I don't feel like I'm part of it. I feel like I'm on the outside. And I don't, honestly, I don't know that I'll ever feel part of it. And I think that we see a lot of people on social media or whatever trying to pretend like they're that girl. Like, oh, I'm the relatable girl. It's like, no, you're not. You don't think, you don't, you're, you do feel part of it and you can't fake that. So I think our yeah. girls, our audience, the favorite daughter customers, the listeners, whatever, I think they can feel that we genuinely really kind of, we've always felt on the other side of the velvet rope, whether or not we should or we shouldn't. It's just how we've always felt. So last question, and I feel like you guys will have a great answer for this. No pressure. Um, who's someone else we should have on the show? Oh, I don't know. who. Well, do you have only have women? Yes. Only women. God, I feel like you've probably had everybody yeah. on your show. The skim is like major. We haven't had your your former relatives or like childhood best friend. So, oh, you want Kardashian? No, oh, I mean, listen. I will say that Kim is. Peep, say the hell what you want about Kim Kardashian, but that woman is like she is a boss in every way. But also to know her is to really like her. Like yeah. this is going to sound like the craziest thing you could ever say about her. She literally hasn't changed. Like from not being famous to being literally the most famous person in the entire planet, she has not changed. It is the weirdest thing. Like when you have a conversation with her, if you bump into her in the street and there's 50 paparazzi across the street, she's present in her conversation with you. She's not looking over your shoulder. She's actually present and actually asking you real questions. It's, I don't know how she does it. No, but this is like, she's a woman. Well, honestly, she'd be great to get on the show. Who By is the way, do, we have she's doing it all. Yeah. She, she is, she is doing it all. Yeah. I mean, guys, if you want to book her for us, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your help. We so appreciate it. We Thank haven't you. even had her on our podcast. We've never asked her. We've been too scared, right? I wouldn't want to put her on the spot. <laughs> Just put her on the spot for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so, so much. Congratulations on everything. We can't wait to see 
the new show, smell great with the new fragrance, and just uh, really, really excited for all the great investments. Um, Thank you so much. We know you guys will do. Thanks for having us. It was really great Thank talking you. to you guys. Thank you guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. 